0: Welcome to Fit Body Happy Joints. My name is Shannon. First, I just wanted to give a huge thank you to those of you that have reviewed the podcast and taken time and written those thoughtful notes. I really, really appreciate and I read them all. And we have a small audience, but a really passionate and excited audience. And reading those really inspires me to continue to make More content and educate more. So, thank you so much. If you are listening and you love the podcast, I would so appreciate a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also now rate on Spotify. So, um, you can give your star rating through Spotify as well. I so, so appreciate all of those. So, today we are talking about a tool that you can use to improve the neuromuscular connection to your muscle and thus improve your results. And I'm always talking about how it's important to feel your muscle flex and contract during any movement. Whether or not you're lifting weights, I think that it is important when you're exercising and strength training to really connect to your muscles because not only will it keep your joints safer, but it'll actually get you better results that your muscles will grow at a faster rate. So I think a big mistake that people make is relying on the external forces, relying on the dumbbells and relying on gravity to do the work instead of generating the work and resisting from the contraction and squeeze and flex of your muscles so like flexing with 100% effort to ultimately recruit as many muscle fibers as possible so we want both right we want effective choosing an effective exercise that choose that uses effective levers that uses appropriate resistance but then also fighting that by contracting your muscles and utilizing as many fibers as possible within that muscle. But I talk about that all the time, but like, what is really happening when we're doing this and how can we improve the firing of our muscles in order to have better results from the work we're putting in? So today I'm going to take it back a little bit because I think, you know, in some of my education in the past, I've skipped a few steps. So we're going to talk about the anatomy a little bit more. We'll talk about what a motor unit is how motor units are recruited in an orderly fashion, and a tool that you can use with really any muscle to improve the efficacy of its firing. But we're gonna talk about the glute max specifically because I know that the glute max is a muscle group or a muscle that many people have a hard time firing and connecting to. So you can use this tool that I'll give you at the end of the podcast for any muscle, but we'll specifically walk you through how to do it for the glute max. So let's back way up and talk about the muscle fiber and how each muscle fiber is connected to your brain. Each muscle is made of fibers, muscle fibers, or these long cells, which ultimately make the tissue or the muscle contract and relax, allowing for your movement. But these cells don't just contract and relax on their own. They need a signal from your nervous system or from your brain. These muscle fibers or these cells are innervated by motor neurons. And these motor neurons transmit signals from the brain to the cell in order for that cell to contract. Each motor neuron can innervate several muscle fibers, but each fiber only has one motor neuron. So each motor neuron and the fibers that it connects to are called a motor unit. So you've got the motor neuron, which is connecting from your brain to the muscle. It's, it's the messenger. And then you've got multiple fibers underneath one single neuron that are responding to this signal from your brain. So some motor units have you know, more muscle fibers per neuron and other motor units have less muscle fibers per neuron. And I'll talk about that here in a second, but I wanna use this analogy just to make sure y'all are with me. So we can use the analogy of, Like a grocery store operation and a chain of grocery stores. Your brain is like the CEO of that chain of grocery stores, ultimately managing the entire operation. But it's sending its different orders to managers of each individual store. And the managers of an individual store could be like the motor neuron, right? It's getting messages from up above, from the CEO or whatever. And it is then sending instructions down to the store workers, which could be your muscle fibers. So again, it's getting messages from the CEO, from the brain, connecting to the motor neuron. That motor neuron is then sending signals out to the workers. So your your muscle cells, your muscle fibers, in order to contract and move the muscle. So together... The motor neuron and its various muscle fibers, because again, you can have one, mo- you can have one motor neuron and then underneath that motor neuron could be various different muscle fibers. So together that motor neuron and however many muscle fibers it manages make up one motor unit. So the fewer fibers in any given motor unit the more precise your movements become. So essentially, if you have one motor neuron and you have fewer muscle fibers underneath that neuron, your movements will become more precise. And likewise, when you have more fibers underneath one given neuron, right, that neuron can't manage maybe as precisely as many fibers, so your movements aren't as precise. So an example is in your eye muscles and in your hands, there are fewer fibers per motor neuron. So there's around 100 fibers per motor neuron per motor unit, whereas in the quad you have like a thousand fibers per neuron. Since the movement of the quads, you know, needs to be is doesn't have to be as precise. Your movement of your hands, of your eyes, you want those movements to be really precise and delicate. So there are less fibers per neuron. And then activation of each motor unit. So again, the motor unit is the neuron and all of those fibers. Activation of each one of those, so you have many in, in any given muscle, is all or nothing. So it either contracts or it doesn't contract. However, you can contract more or less motor units within a specific muscle. Again, there are lots and lots of motor units in every single muscle if it, if a single motor unit contracts, it contracts. If it doesn't, it doesn't. So the more motor units you're able to contract during a movement, the more powerful the overall muscle contraction makes sense, right? The more motor units that come to the party, the stronger that muscle will contract. Motor units, and I've talked about this before, are recruited in order. From smallest to largest, this is called the Henneman size principle. And there, I believe that there's some evidence that there's exceptions to this. But for today's podcast, we're just going to talk about uh, we're going to talk about it in this way. So, when you first start a movement, the smallest and weakest units are recruited first. These are your type one muscle fibers. So. Let's say you are you're starting to lift something, your brain isn't sure how heavy it is. So it's going to want to contract the smallest fibers first because they take the less energy, the least amount of energy to contract and use. Your brain's always trying to conserve energy, so it wants to go to the path of least resistance first. So these type 1 fibers are recruited first. If these cannot produce enough force to complete the movement, if they're not strong enough to finish the movement, Your type 2 muscle fibers will join the party. And these type 2 fibers have higher thresholds for generating action potential. In other words, you have to work harder in order to recruit these muscle fibers. There has to be more work or more force in order for these type 2 muscle fibers to join the party. Therefore, stronger inputs will produce stronger contractions. And weaker inputs will produce weaker contractions. Makes sense, right? But your body tends to recruit in order. So it will almost always, as far as as far as I know, will almost always start with those type one fibers, the weaker fibers, and then it'll from there it will progressively graduate to the type two fibers. And there's multiple different types of type two fibers, but for now we'll just keep it between type one and type two. So these fibers can be recruited because of a heavy load. So because you're lifting something heavy and your brain's like, oh, those type one fibers, they're not strong enough to complete this movement. We better bring type two fibers to the party. Or they can be rec- recruited internally by flexing and squeezing and perceiving that you have a heavy load. So this is why you can lift moderate or even lightweights. And you're if you're f- squeezing with 100% effort, If you are imagining, you know, as many muscle fibers as you can contracting, you can still see great muscle growth. You don't necessarily have to lift super heavy in order to grow your muscles. I actually prefer lifting moderate or even light weights because... And there's nothing wrong with lifting heavy weights, but moderate weights are great because you can still get the increase in size of the muscle without the additional strain or risk to the skeleton and joints that heavy weights often give you. So this is why you'll notice that you fatigue faster when you're squeezing and contracting really hard. Let's say you're using a moderate weight and you could use like let's say you're doing a chest press and you could probably lift a lot heavier weights, but you are really focused and squeezing as hard as you can, imagining that the weight is twice as heavy as it actually is, you will fatigue faster. You will fatigue almost as quickly, maybe as quickly as you would if you actually were using the heavy weight. And this is a good thing because it means you're probably recruiting your type two muscle fibers, which can be powerful, but they don't have good endurance, right? And they fatigue quickly. So if you're fatiguing quickly because you're squeezing with 100% effort, this probably means that you're tapping into those two type two fibers, which is awesome. These fibers, the reason we wanna tap into these type two fibers is because they make up more of the size of the muscle, the mass of the muscle, and will lead to more muscle growth than if you were just recruiting those type one more endurance fibers. And type one fibers are not bad, to bring to the party, not bad to contract and use. Obviously, we want strong type 1 fibers as well, but those type 2 fibers are what we really want to tap into uh, when we're resistance training. So if you feel like you could go forever in a movement and you're not feeling like you're really... fatiguing, you probably aren't getting into those type 2 muscle fibers. You could just be recycling those type 1 muscle fibers over and over. And this means you could probably afford to either flex the muscle harder and create that internal resistance, flex with 100% effort, and or increase your resistance. So, you might do a combination of both. You might try flexing harder. That's always what I suggest first and see if you can fatigue yourself faster and You might not need to add extra weight, but if you're doing that, if you're flexing with 100% effort, if you're using this tool that I'm going to give you here in a second, and you're still not feeling like you're getting to your fatigue, maybe it's time to increase your resistance and increase your uh, weight a little bit. So this is all great, but what if you aren't able to connect to and squeeze a muscle? And this is something that I hear a lot with various muscles, but again, a lot of times it's with the glute max. So I'll walk you through a tool that you can use with any muscle. And it involves knowing a little bit of anatomy. So if you know your anatomy, you can apply it to any muscle or you can just look up the origin insertions of your muscle and kind of study it a little bit, which I do recommend, and apply it to any muscle that you want. But if you practice this tool with any given muscle, you will be able to recruit that muscle and get into those type two muscle fibers more quickly and with more efficacy. So the reason I'm choosing glutes is because glutes are a common place for inflammation. And inflammation can block your ability to effectively connect to the muscle and contract the muscle. And inflammation can be, you know, for various reasons, many, many, many reasons. Often in the glutes, it's from overuse. So if you're doing a program That, or if you're exercising in ways that's a lot of hip motion and a lot of hip stress, a lot of times overuse can create inflammation in your muscle and actually block the muscle from firing effectively. Uh, Inflammation in the glutes can also be from dehydration and often it's from prolonged positioning, so like lots of sitting. So if you think about it, when you're sitting, your hip is bent, the glute is in its lengthened state, and you can start to get poor quality muscle contraction just from sitting for a long time, and you can get inflammation in the hips and low back, things like that. So glutes are a common place for inflammation. And I just want to say before we get into this, you know, none of this works if you're not removing the underlying cause. So if you are doing this tool I'm going to give you, but you're still overusing your glutes and you're still working your glutes every single day or multiple times a week and you're not giving your glutes enough time for rest, that inflammation, that underlying inflammation is still going to be there. So although this may help you a little bit, it's not, it's not going to be as nearly as effective as if you remove that underlying stressor that's causing the inflammation, right? Because we're not just looking to cover up the symptoms; we want to we want to get at the root cause. And same thing with you know per- prolonged positioning. If you can get up and walk around as much as often, and circle your hips, move your hips in different directions, circle your ankles, things like that, um, that can also help reduce the level of inflammation in, in your hips and in your glutes. Okay, so. If you feel like you have a hard time contracting your glutes, this is a tool I'm gonna walk you through. And I would truly recommend doing this every day. And I would say maybe most people could do this and benefit in some way from doing this every day, at least for a little while until you feel like you get really good at it and really connected. And with practice, you will improve your nervous system's ability to more quickly connect to the motor units and it will get easier. But just as a disclaimer, that this can feel like nothing is happening for a long time. And that's okay. The more you do it, the better you will get at it. So just be patient. A lot of times when I was working in clinical practice, people will get frustrated like, "Ah, I can't do it. I just can't do it. You can do it. It's just that the wiring the path to that muscle maybe isn't as carved out. And so the more you carve it out, the better you will get at it and sometimes it takes a lot of practice. So don't get frustrated if you if it feels like, you know, you aren't doing anything after the first few times you do it. It may have taken years for you to disconnect from this muscle and so it's going to take some time and reps to reconnect. It's totally worth the wait, and it's honestly to be expected. So if you feel like this is taking a while, don't worry. Keep at it. It will come. So the reason we're doing this is because if we get good at this orderly recruitment, we can more easily access glute contractions during our workouts and hopefully have more effective glute work. Yes, going through the motions and just doing the lifts without connecting to the muscle may have some effect because you're still getting load to the muscle but your ability to contract the muscle using both internal and external resistance will accelerate the results and keep your joints safe. So let's first talk about the anatomy of the glute max. And I find it very helpful to visualize it. So if you aren't familiar with glute max anatomy, you can look up a picture to see what it looks like. And I'll also attach a really simple video of the glute and how it moves in the show notes. So it's only 50 seconds long. So you can pull that up And get a visual of where this muscle is, what it looks like, kind of where it originates and inserts and how it moves. And if you aren't in a public space, (laughs) uh, I invite you to kind of do this with me as, as we talk you through this and physically touch the muscle so that you can feel how it's contracting. So your glute is a diagonal muscle that originates at your sacrum. Your sacrum is this little triangular bone at the very base of your spine, and also it has some fibers that insert on the ilium, or kind of the rim of the pelvis. And then it it runs diagonally from the sacrum and wraps around the femur to so on your thigh bone. So it kind of it. A lot of people think it runs like straight up and down. Like in the same plane as your thigh and it doesn't. It actually goes diagonally and it also has some fibers that insert on the IT band. Again, if you watch that video, it, it gives you a good visualization of where it inserts. So let's walk you through the palpation of the origin of this muscle because I think understanding and feeling where it attaches in your body can be very helpful. So if you press just in the middle of your of your butt cheek. So like let's start with your right hand. So press your right hand to the middle of your right butt cheek. And then you'll walk your hand towards midline until you feel a bone. And that bone is your sacrum. It's that triangular bone kind of right in between your glutes. And this is where your glute max originates. And you can palpate um, to the side of that muscle. So you'll feel it kind of drop off. It has a steep drop off right there. You'll feel it kind of drop off. And you can palpate along the edge of that of that bone, all the way down towards your tailbone or your coccyx, and then all the way back up until you feel kind of the curve around of that pelvis or that ilium. Um, so you can take your hand and walk up and down it, and just give that muscle like a little palpation, a gentle rub. We're not trying to you know go go crazy on this. Just getting an idea and giving your body that kind of sensory input of where this muscle is. So. Now we're going to practice, now that we kind of feel where it is, we're going to practice orderly recruitment in a stepwise fashion. I find this is best to do standing, but you can really try it in any position, but I'll walk you through from a standing position. So we'll start with the right glute. Take your hand on the surface of that glute. So you can either just like press your hand or I, I find like press your fingers into kind of the middle of your glute. Or you can come to the the uh, origin point on the sacrum. So remember what I just walked you through. So you can push anywhere kind of right there. And it's not about deep pressure here. Your hand is just there to feel the contraction of the muscles. A lot of you are going to be tempted to skip step one, but please do not skip it. It is, it is the most important step. Step one is to just think about the muscle contraction contracting. EMG studies show that this is the very first step of orderly recruitment, and it actually does recruit motor units. And it's going to be so, so subtle, but very important. And this might be a stage that you stay at for a long time and just really carve that neural pathway really deep so that when we get into you know progressively flexing it more and more, you've already got this foundation really solid. And for a lot of you that have had maybe inflammation there for years, this might be where you hang out for a really long time. So from here, from a standing position with your right hand either kind of in the middle of your glute or on your sacrum, I would recommend closing your eyes. And just imagine rotating your knee outwards, so external rotation of your hip, and extending your thigh bone behind you. So rotating the thigh bone outwards and extending it behind you. No bones are actually moving. So you're not actually moving. If someone were to watch you, you would look completely still. You're just establishing that first and most important step of recruiting those foundational motor units. So you'll feel it contract or just think about it contracting for five seconds. So five second, contract it, contract it. Again, really light. You might not even feel it contract very much and then relax it. So in, the, in between our reps, we want to completely relax for a second or two. And then you could repeat, you know, five or 10 reps. You'll probably find that you have to really focus on this, especially at first. And what you can do to improve the firing here is you can do a a few reps, you know, two, three, four reps, and then lightly palpate the glute with your hand or lightly roll with a medicine ball or a tennis ball along the glute. So you could just do it along like kind of the fleshy part of the glute. Again, if you look up the picture, uh, picture of it, then you can just kind of all along the surface of that glute. I don't recommend like sitting or laying on a tennis ball to do this. I would do it standing and just use your hand as the pressure. And again, you're not looking to like give it a deep massage, just like get around the whole surface of the glute one time and that's all you need because we're not looking to add more inflammation or damage to the muscle with really deep pressure. So just kind of some light sensory input. You can use your hand tennis ball medicine bottle works and then come back in and do a few more reps and notice if you're able to connect a little bit more. And you might find that by your last few reps, you actually start to feel a really, really, really light physical contraction or kind of quivering of that muscle. And that's amazing. That's where I want to be. You'll just feel like a very, just like, almost like a whisper of the muscle. And... If you're not there, it's okay. It just means you just need some more practice. It should be very, very, very subtle. You should not really feel any other muscle contractions around you. So if you're feeling, you know, back or hip flexors or, you know, outer thighs or abdominals, we want to try to get as simple as we can and get as clean of a contraction as we can. So don't be patient here. You know, hold for five seconds, five to 10 reps. And then, you know, you don't move on to step two until you've mastered step one. And you should feel like you can clearly picture this muscle contracting at any given moment and get a really, really light muscle contraction. So how you know that you're good at this is, you know, maybe you try this and then later in your day, you're sitting eating dinner or (laughs) sitting in the car and you try to do it and you just think about it and you're like, yep, and you can get it right away. And there's no like focusing. There's no like, ah, ah, is that it? It's like clean. Yep, that's it. I got it. And by the way, if you are working on this, it doesn't mean that you need to stop working your glutes in your workouts. You can still continue to work your glutes in your workouts. In fact, I would recommend doing a few reps of this, of just thinking about the muscle contract before you go into your glute workouts. But you can kind of do it adjacent to your current workouts to improve the efficacy. So again, this may take days, it may take weeks, weeks. Practice a few times a day if you need to. Practice in different positions. Great to do while you're driving, while you're standing in line, etc. So The next thing is to move on to step two. So step two is to do the exact same exercise. Again, you're not moving your bones at all, but you're contracting a little bit more. So you're contracting like a two out of five. So just thinking about it, just thinking about the muscle contracting was a one out of five. And then we go on to a two out of five. And... Step five is you're flexing as hard as you possibly can, like you can't flex any longer. So again, we repeat the same process with just a two out of five. So just light muscle contraction, very subjective, but just try to differentiate between what does one feel like and then what does two feel like. And then you continue to move on from there. After you get good at that, then you move on to a three out of five and so on until you get it to a five out of five, which is contracting so hard that you feel like it may cramp, So, in each stage, you know, you're doing a few reps, holding each rep for five seconds, completely relaxing in the middle, and using that sensory feedback if you want in between your reps. This entire process, you are not physically moving your bones. So, you shouldn't like round your spine under or move your thigh or side bend. It's all just positional isometric contraction. So, we want to try to isolate, and it's impossible to fully isolate a muscle, but we want to try to isolate this glute as well as you can. And obviously make sure you do the left side too. You're doing both sides. You might find that one fires better than the other two. So you will find that when you can improve how many motor units you're able to recruit in the snap of your fingers, you can stress more of the muscle and create stronger muscles more effectively. And again, this is a great drill to do before you work your glutes. And when you get good at this, you know, you can just do like two reps of one, two reps of two, two reps of three out of five. And then so on until you get, you know, a couple reps of five out of five, and then and then start in with your warm up and start your glute workout. What's cool about this is that it doesn't have to be perfect. Because in the process of exploring this, your brain is forced to really think about how to contract in these different ways. And it improves the neural connections. So don't worry about it. Don't worry about it being perfect. Again, it's not. you don't have to be like, what is a two out of five? What should that feel like? It's going to be subjective from person to person. And just practicing this drill is the purpose of this. And that is really what's going to allow you to get the benefits. So it doesn't have to be perfect. And if you're an Evelyn member, we have so many stability videos for the hips. So if you're struggling with this, I highly recommend taking the full body joint assessment. So you can just search in the search bar, full body joint assessment. And take that assessment. We walk you through mobility uh, assessment for the entire body and you write down like which side is, which side your deficit is on, if you have a deficit from one side to the other. And then you take that corresponding stability video. Because if you've been doing these drills consistently for a week or longer and you still don't feel like you've improved the control of your glutes, it may be worth kind of looking around, right? Up and down the chain to determine if there are other muscle groups where you can improve your stability and thus create a better environment and really, really bone alignment for your glutes to do their job. So I do highly recommend if you're an Evelyn member and you've, you're you trying this drill and you feel like you need a little extra assist, assistance, go ahead and go take that uh, full body joint assessment and go from there. All right. So hopefully this was helpful. Hopefully this gave you some things to kind of practice and chew on. You can do this for any muscle and. If you would like to join us in Evlo, where we really prioritize our nervous system in order to get the best results without wearing down our body, we'd love to have you. We just increased our trial from seven days to 14 days. This is for a limited time only. So I will put the link in the bio. If you want to join, you can join uh, for the first 14 days for free. EvloFitness.com, E-V-L-O-Fitness.com. And that's it. We'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening. Bye.